fifth row, sliding back and way back in the back, back row guy. Take your cell phones and set them in the chair in front of you or on the floor. Just take them out. I just need you for 20 minutes. I might get going, it might be three hours, but we'll find out. I'll try 20 minutes. Just set them on the floor and just because what I want to give you guys and what I want to give you guys is something that might change you forever. I'm not giving you nothing. I'm just giving you what God has placed in me and trying to get it out of me. That way, he gave me responsibility to tell you. Once I tell you, it's on you and off of me. So go to 1 Samuel, if you're a Bible flipper. 1 Samuel 16. Who knows who we're talking about in Samuel and 2 Samuel? Who is that guy? You can shout it out just like we're in class. David. There's a lot of David in there. Matter of fact, just a fact for while you're flipping, Jesus is, his name is stated in the Bible 1,281 times. David's name is stated 1,141 times. Second, only third only to Moses, who's 800 and some. So, obviously, obviously God thought a lot of David. A lot. So, back in the day, before Jesus died on the cross, we had priests. Does anybody know what priests used to do? So, a priest was like an intercessor to God. Some people didn't have the realization at the time that they could have a conversation with God because that's not how it worked. The priest would intercede get a word from God and then go to someone and say, God said, and then give it direct from God. So at this time, Samuel is the priest. So 16 verse one, it says, God addressed Samuel. Now this is God speaking directly to Samuel, having a conversation with Samuel. So I'm, under, I'm reading out of the message Bible, so it may read a little different if you're reading out of the NIV. So how long are you going to mope over Saul? At this point in, in our history line, Saul had disobeyed God. And, and God had said, you know what, Saul, you're out. And he had cut him off. And he said, I'm going to find somebody new to carry on the lineage of what we have going on. So he said, how long are you going to mope over Saul? You know I've rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your flask with anointing oil and get going. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've spotted the very king I want among his sons. Forethought, who, who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus was, right. So he's going to Bethlehem. This is the part that I like, because this is how, if you pray to God and if you've talked to God, you've all done this. Samuel says, I can't do that. <laughs> and he's telling God that, just so you know, that's conversation is not between him and some other dude. That's him and God. I can't do that, says Samuel. Saul will hear about it and kill me. Because at that time, as the priest under Saul, Saul was overseeing what Samuel was doing. And if he felt that he was going against Saul, Saul could have him killed. And God said, take a heifer with you and announce, I've come to lead you in worship of God with this heifer as a sacrifice. Make sure Jesse gets invited. I'll let you know what to do next. I'll point out the one you were to anoint. So it says, Samuel did what God told him. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the town fathers greeted him, but apprehensively and said, is there something wrong? So that verse right there where God's talking and he tells him to take a heifer and then he says what? He doesn't tell him directly what to do. He says, hey, I'll tell you when you get there. Which tells me that Samuel and God had conversations all the time. It says, Samuel says to the elders, nothing's wrong. I've come to sacrifice this heifer and lead you in worship of God. Prepare yourselves, be consecrated and join me in worship. 
It says, when they had arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, here he is, God's anointed. Now, this is one of Jesse's sons. Jesse had a bunch of sons. Verse 7, and I have it in big parentheses in my Bible. It says, but God told, you know, there's always a but before something good comes down. But God told Samuel, looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and stature. I've already eliminated him. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face. God looks at the what? At the heart. And you're going to see as I read through some of this stuff with David, if he didn't see David's heart, David would have been dead a long time ago. It says, Jesse then called on Abimadab and presented him to Samuel. And Samuel said, this man isn't God's choice either. Next, Jesse presented Shema. Samuel said, nope, not him. Jesse presented his seven sons to Samuel, and Samuel was blunt with Jesse. And he said, Jesse, God hasn't chosen any of these. Then he asked Jesse, do you think that maybe Samuel knew the answer to this question? A lot of times in the Bible, if you read, they'll ask a question. And especially if God's asking the question, obviously he already knows the answer. He said, is this it? Are there no more sons? Well, yes, there's the runt, but he's out tending the sheep. So Samuel ordered Jesse, go get him. We're not moving from this spot until he's here. Jesse sent for him. He was brought in. He was the very picture of health, bright-eyed and good-looking. God said, get up on your feet, Jesse, and anoint him. This is the one. Samuel took his flask of oil and anointed him with his brothers standing around watching. The Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind. God vitally empowering him for the rest of his life. A couple things there. Samuel is being very obedient in this whole process. Only obedient because he has such a relationship with God that he trusts everything God's telling him. To the point that in the end of this, verse 13, had Samuel not been obedient in his conversation and his relationship with his heavenly father, David would not have received what he received at the end of that, that verse. Samuel took his flask and anointed him. The Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind, God vitally empowering him for the rest of his life due to Samuel's obedience. So, David is now listed as he's going to be the king. Does David take over as king right now? Does anybody know their history on David? Samuel. No, he does not. He actually goes back to the fields and gets sent back out. And then the story usually goes, he gets anointed, and then we all skip forward to the exciting part where he kills Goliath. And I don't ever assume that anybody reads enough of the Bible, because I don't read enough of the Bible. Some people don't know who Goliath is. Goliath is the huge guy that David killed with a rock because he was obedient to God, right? Well, we'll go, he's anointed, he kills him with the Bible, or he kills him, kills Goliath, and then he rules over Israel till the end. But there was way more that went on. So from the time that he was anointed to the time that he killed Goliath and took over the kingdom... They estimate that 14 or 15 years had passed, right? So David had been given a promise that he was going to rule Israel. And then he was told what? Go back out to the field. While he was out in the field, if you read through the scripture, which I'm not going to get into all of Samuel and 2 Samuel because there's a ton there. When he goes back out into the field, what does he do to, with God? Does anybody Has anybody... He spent the entire time with sheep, and sheep don't talk. 
They make a lot of noise sometimes and they make a lot of messes, but they don't talk. So the whole time that he's out there, he is communicating with God. And what else did David do? He sang and played the harp, which is also a form of communication with your heavenly father. So David looks like the perfect kid here, right? He's been anointed. He's went out and spent time with his heavenly father. He's killed Goliath. He's on, on the way to the top. He gets king. Go to 2 Samuel 11, if you want to flip there. This is where no giggling from the young kids to my left. <laughs> One late afternoon, David got up from taking his nap and was strolling on the roof of the palace. From his vantage point on the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was stunningly beautiful. David sent to ask about her and was told, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Iliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, Uriah the Hittite was one of David's number one assassins that he had in his army at that time. He was a straight-up killer. David sent his agents to get her. After she arrived, he went to bed with her. Then she returned home. Before long, she realized she was pregnant, and she sent word to David that I'm pregnant. At this time, in the Mesopotamia, like in that era of law, he should have been killed immediately. Like if they were going to rule on what he just did, he should have been done. But he wasn't. So, in the eyes of man, David at this point is garbage. Not fit to be a king. Broke all the laws that we were supposed to not do. But, what does the Bible say about David? He was a man after whose heart? God's heart. The story of David and God forgiving David at a time where Jesus had not died on the cross yet is just foreshadowing of what Jesus did for all of you when he died on the cross. Because in this day and era, like I, which you'll see in a minute, God, God was God of everything. So he would be nothing. It would be nothing for him to say, Monica violated what he asked. Monica's gone. David had been after God's heart since he was anointed to be the king. He had definitely made a huge mistake here. 2 Samuel eleven fifteen through 17. If you want to flip over to 2 Samuel 11. During this time, there was continual conflict. So David and his armies were fighting smaller factions all the time this was going on. So this is, we're, we're going to go back to Uriah. Remember who Uriah was? That was Bathsheba's husband. The one that David stole. Stole Bathsheba. It says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, put Uriah in the front lines where the fighting is the fiercest. Then pull back and leave him exposed so that he's sure to be killed. All right. This guy here is just killing it, ain't he? So now he's taking this man's wife, and now he's sending this guy off to get killed. So Joab, holding the city under siege, put Uriah in a place where he knew there was fierce enemy fighters. When the city's defenders came out to fight Joab, some of the David's soldiers were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. So at this point, he has, he has committed adultery. And he has also committed murder, both which were obviously punishable by death, especially at this time. Now, in comes another guy, which there's always that guy. There's always that guy, or there's always God with us, or there's always someone who's like, hey, Monica, you probably shouldn't be doing that. And then sometimes we're like, oh, man, 
I didn't even realize that I had stepped off that far off of the path that I'm supposed to be on. So, 2 Samuel verse 12, 1. This is Nathan talking. Nathan is also a prophet. What do we say prophets do? They hear directly from who? God. So you can just go ahead and, and figure this is coming straight from the heavens. It says, so the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to David, Nathan said, and I, I like parables. Sometimes parables hit better than just straight saying it. He says, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except for one little lamb that he had acquired. He raised it and grew up alongside him and his children. He used to eat his food, drink from his cup, and sleep in his arms. It was just like a daughter to him. So when a traveler arrived at the rich man's home, he did not want to use one of his own sheep or cattle to feed the traveler who had come to visit him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and cooked it for the man who had come to visit him. So he cooked, took this guy's lamb. Obviously, if he cooked it, he killed it. And this wasn't some lamb he was raising to eat, was he? That was his pet. Then David, and this is how blind we are sometimes to the stuff that we get ourselves involved in. Then David became very angry at this man. He said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he committed this cold-hearted crime, he must pay for the lamb four times over. Nathan said to David, coming straight from God, you are that man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I choose you to be king over Israel, and I rescued you from the hands of Saul. And if we read on down there, it actually says, God, Nathan tells him, God said that your son will die because of the decisions that you have made. Seven days later, after falling ill, David's son died. So, the first thing that David does, 12 verse 20, so David got up from the ground, this is after he had been wailing on the ground for seven days while his son was dying, and he said, he bathed, put on oil, changed his clothes, and he went to the house of the Lord and what? Worshipped. So he had messed all this stuff up, like literally like, I'm the big cheese, I'm in charge of all this, I can take that chick, I can kill that guy, I can do whatever I want because I'm the king of Israel. And real fast God come in and is like, hey, whoa, where are you and who are you? So I'm going to read this. This is David's prayer of repentance whenever he goes in and worships Jesus. Now, this is Psalm 51, if you want to flip to Psalm 51. Once again, this is in the Message Bible. Yours may read a little bit different. I'm going to read, I'm going to read the entire Psalm 51, and I want you to listen to the words that are in this psalm. If you're better at reading along and getting context, then do so. If not, just listen whenever I read this. So now this is David, who has just been caught, who has just been shown, who God has just shown light on, that has committed this stuff. But one thing that David has is the ability that he knows that his conversation and relationship with God is everything. He says, generous in love, God give grace, huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record, scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You're the one I violated and you've seen it all, seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time in the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then, conceive a new true life. 
Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have snow white life. Tune me in to foot tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence, God, my salvation, God, and I'll sing anthems to your life giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God, I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Ain't that the truth? Heart shattered lives ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. Make Zion the place you delight in. Repair Jerusalem's broken down walls. Then you'll get real worship from us. Acts of worship, small and large, including all the bulls that they can heap on your altar. If you're ever in a place and don't know what to pray, <laughs> Psalm 51 usually fits all of us at some point. <laughs> Even you guys that are really good and don't do anything wrong ever, <laughs> Psalm 51 could still be read. And usually some of you guys are worse than some of the rest of us. <laughs> Just being real. <laughs> no matter what way you view your standing, God will always see you as perfect. It says he made you in his image. The flaws and the decisions that you make, you suffer the consequences from them. It doesn't change how God views you. David had an understanding of the fact that he had a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Anybody who has kids could say that, like, my kids, there's, there's nothing my kids could do to cause me to not love them. There's things that they can do that they're going to suffer consequences from. Good or bad, because you can make a good decision and you're going to get good consequences. There's a lot of times where I've had people ask me, or in, uh, a lot of people have, I'll just use the right word, a lot of people have judged me, which doesn't bother me at all, and said, well, I think you're too loose with your kids and some of this stuff. But I'm usually, if Drew would ask for something, Drew, I don't usually ever just say no, do I? If I say no, it's, hey, this is the two options you can pick. If you pick this option, these bad things will probably happen. If you pick this option, these better things could happen. I think you know what you need to do. And 99% of the time, <laughs> we always go with the, the option that has better outcomes. Everybody is human, including myself, and we make decisions that we suffer the consequences from sometimes until the end. David made a decision here that cost him his son. Matter of fact, if you read through these scriptures, it cost him more than just that son. He had one son with absolutely gorgeous hair that was a beautiful kid, rode a horse into a tree. His hair got caught in the branches. One of the enemies rode by and cut his head off. That event occurred due to some poor decisions that David made in his life. That all being said, still God referenced him as a man after God's own heart, and he established his entire lineage on his back. So let me jump off David for a minute to us. It is our responsibility to have a relationship with him. Knowing who he is, is not knowing him. You can get out your study books and study all you want. 
and you can give me a hundred facts. You can, t- you, you can tell me that Jesus was stated this many times in the Bible and David was right behind him and Moses was 800 and sometimes, but that doesn't mean I know who God is. You have to know who he is in a relationship. I, I, the people that you spend time getting to know in your relationships, you know those people. My circle is pretty small and I like to keep my circle pretty small, but like I'm picking on Tony, but like if he's having a bad day, I work with Tony enough, I know. I don't know because he wrote on a piece of paper or I studied a piece of paper about him that he's having a bad day. I've spent enough time in relationship with Tony that I know. I've spent enough time in relationship with my wife that if she's having a bad day without her even saying, I know something's bothering her. Kids, anybody who's close to you, God has to be the same way for you. Aubrey, you have that note. Could you write me that note? So I'm going to show you something. It's simple. So I'm going to go grab this from Aubrey. One second. Fold that thing in half. I don't want to see it. My handwriting is way worse than yours, sweetie. Okay, so I have a note from Aubrey. I had Aubrey write this note, and I obviously told Aubrey what she should probably write on there so it would make more sense. But we're going to act like I have no idea what's in this note, okay? Like I don't have any idea. I just know that this note came from someone who wants nothing but good for me, right? And I want nothing but good for her. So I have this note. And it says something in there that I need to know. So that note's right there. What I need to know is right there. If I don't open that note, how in the world will I receive what she has for me or what I need to do for her? If you don't open that Bible, how in the world are you going to know what he has for you or what gifts he's giving to you? Amen. I know that's simple, but I mean, man, like literally, if you think back, which I don't even know if this is a real thing for this age anymore, but you used to get notes in school. <laughs> Remember that? Whenever they would slide you the note, and the, you know, now I think they just probably just text each other. I mean, do you guys even write notes anymore? Is that, that's outdated. <laughs> so, but when you got that note, what's the first thing you wanted to do? Open it. Why? Because there was always something in there that you wanted to know. And usually something in that note was, hey, will you go out with me, Mark, yes or no? <laughs> so, it was, so you felt it was important to read that note. So had I never opened this note, I would have no idea what Aubrey needed, Right? So if I'd never opened this note, and I'm as guilty as all of you in here of not opening this note enough, if I never opened this note, I have no idea what he has for me. No idea. This note says, I have a hug for you. Okay? Which I told her I wouldn't make her come up here. I'll get, I'll get it later. Okay? I would have never got that. I would have never got that had I not opened that. Okay, you have got to take the time 
to build a relationship with the only person who has everything for you. No matter how close you are with someone, at some point your own self-pride gets in the way and your agenda slides in a little bit and you mess things up. He does not do that. His agenda is only for your good, only for your good. Another thing, and we all know these people, (laughs) I'm guilty of it sometimes. If you don't shut up, you can't listen. There is a time and there is a place whenever I'm, I'm gonna say it in terms of just you and God, but you can use this in terms of you and any relationship. If you don't pause for a minute and listen to what God has to say and you don't shut up, you're not gonna hear what he has to say. He's a gentleman and he's not gonna yell over top of you. So you'll see these people that just pro, God help me, I can't do this no more. God, why is this so hard to do? I can't, and then they don't shut up long enough to hear what he has to say. God, I'm here, whatever you need, whatever you have for me, I'm listening. Then just be quiet for a minute and wait. And if the silence stays, Lord, I love you. I know you have the best for me. Whatever you need, I'm right here. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's what it was. Or somebody will cross your path. And if they are in connection with the person they're supposed to have a relationship with, they will walk past you and say, and come back. And out of nowhere, just give you a hug. Or you'll get a text message. Hey, I love you, man. That text message doesn't say, hey, I love you, man, because that person stopped long enough because they thought about you to say, hey, I love you. God thought enough of you that that person was connected enough to send you that. So when you get a random hug or you get a text message from somebody that's close to you or somebody who's not close to you, oft times than not, that person is in constant communication with their Heavenly Father and their Heavenly Father says, hey, Monica's not listening right now. (laughs) She's talking too much. Can you let her know I love her? Absolutely. So it is the same in any relationship you have. If you do not give time to the person next to you or that's in your friendship and you don't have some relationship, you will not know that person. Jump over to, I'll get done here. Go to Hebrews 11.6. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who do what? Diligently and earnestly seek him. It doesn't say that he might reward them. It says he does. You don't have to go there, but Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. You don't know those plans unless you open that note, unless you have communication with him. He has the plans for you, but you gotta be quiet enough to get them. Jump to Matthew 7, 22 verse 23. I got so like preachery that I even found you guys a Greek word. That's right, that's fancy. If I'm gonna say a Greek word, you know I'm, I'm fancy up here. Matthew 7, 22 through 23. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That Greek word there for new, K-N-E-W, is gnosko. You know what it actually means? Relationship. So I'll read it again. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never had a relationship with you. Away from me, you evildoers. It just takes a little bit of time. And when you, when, you were saved, when you got saved, whenever you realized that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you said, Lord, come into my heart, you're saved. You're going to heaven. He forgave you of all the things that you could possibly do. But why would you not want to read that note? Why would you not want to get all the blessings that he put in there for you? Isaiah 29, 13, it says, the Lord says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their what are far from me. Their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely on rules they have been taught. God's grace is so sufficient that he loves you more than any of your closest friends and or family. You should get to know the one that wants only good for you. You high school age kids over there, learn this early because the level of pain that you can get around by knowing this is exponential. I know that's a big word. It means a lot, just in case you guys wanted to know. When you're at school, or when your parents are driving you nuts, <laughs> get away, sit down, close your eyes, and don't hit a knee and say, oh, greatest thouest father in heaven, listen, he hears you when you're thinking. Just like I teach my kids in class, you can pray without ever opening your mouth. You're like, hey man, today sucks. I'm having a terrible day today. And you know what he says? I know. I already knew. What can I do for you? And then you have to take the time and you have to take the time when you're at school or when you're going through life and you're late in bed at night and it's 1230 and your mind's racing. You guys all have cell phones. Maybe it's not the coolest thing in the world. Put some praise and worship music on. Turn it down a little bit. Let that clear your mind out. Say, Lord, I'm going to go to sleep but I sure could use your help. He is faithful. At the moment you say, hey, I sure could use your help. He's there. Now that help may not be how you thought it was gonna be. That's usually how it goes, but it's there. It's always there. Worship team, you guys can come up. While they're walking up here, let's just bow your heads for just a minute. Lord, I just thank you for today. God knows, you know, <laughs> none of us are perfect. And every sin is sin. But no matter what we've done, as we see with David, who's a man after your own heart, we're a church body after your own heart, Lord. We know that you love us. 
without fail. Lord, remind us that in that moment, whenever we're like, man, I just feel like I'm by myself. I don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know who has my back. I don't, I don't trust anybody. We have you. Help us to work on that relationship with you. Help us to utilize that relationship skills to t- with you and those around us, Lord. Help us to be patient. Help us to listen. If we're after your heart, then we should, we should reflect your heart to everyone around us, Lord. Lord, we just thank you that you fill us from our feet to our head. And we thank you that whenever we feel empty, we're not empty. We just need to stop, pause, get into that relationship, and thank you for being everything that we need, Lord. We just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All around you and within
Lord, we thank you that you are for us. No matter what happens, no matter what we do, Lord, no matter what, you are for us. We just thank you for today. We thank you for you showing up like you always do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You all have a wonderful day.